0: Good morning, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to episode 66 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts as our Easter speaker series continues with the hope of resurrection. And today uh, I'm joined by a really good friend and a colleague, and someone who I'd also consider a a mentor um, who I'm just really fond of and have learned a lot from the Reverend Dr. Steve Kenney. Steve is a priest, he's currently assisting at All Saints. Episcopal Church, uh, kind of on the UT campus, also serves as the Director of Development for IAC, which does really amazing interfaith work and all kinds of good social justice work. Uh, And he has served in parish ministry um, as a rector at uh, St. Barnabas in Fredericksburg for eight years or so, and he also has his PhD in Educational Psychology from the University of Texas. Um, None of that captures the fullness of who my friend and mentor and colleague and uh, dialogue partner is today. But Steve, welcome to St. Michael's and thank you for joining us.
1: Hey, Johnny Newton, it's a great privilege and honor just to get the chance to hang with you a little bit. So thanks for the invite and looking forward to uh, seeing what emerges between us. Love it. Is this where I brag on you a little bit?
0: Yeah, so if, uh, as I instructed <laughs> you, if you could talk for about four minutes uh, about why I'm amazing and then go into your reflection. Okay, um, well, that's be... what I was going to do.
1: <laughs> so, do you want me to just start riffing?
0: Start riffing, man. We're ready. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, um, Johnny, just as an opening statement, just to put something on the table between us. I wanted to just make a few comments about my own understanding and experience of resurrection. I'm taken by the fact that in the after the church became the religion of the empire in the fourth century AD, a lot of icons start showing up that show resurrection as just this explosive event. And Jesus is shown with, you know, choirs of angels. And uh, it, it proved that God was Jesus. And it proved that uh, the Christians were the religion of the empire. But when you look at the original sources uh, in, the, in the Gospels, it's a lot more subtle than that. I mean we 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 go from the first supposedly gospel mark where uh it ends in the original ending with these women who go to the tomb expecting to anoint the body and yet they are told he's not there that they'll he'll meet them in Galilee and they're terrified so I don't know that those words were calm, calm words for their anxious heart, but it it turned their world upside down and, uh, and they fled. And then we go to Matthew and Luke. And then John, of course, becomes, I I think the deepest reflection on, on what it means. And, and so at the heart of it, for me, is this transformation from being a me, isolated me, into a we, you know, into a relationship. And, and so I, I bring up the early churches when it, when it had become the empire, I bring up those icons showing the spectacular proof of resurrection as a way to say, the gospels don't try to prove it. Right? They just point to it. They, they they discover that God was not an abstract concept to believe in, that God was not just the lawgiver and they then obey and follow God's law. Rather, the the post-resurrection, Jesus is live, and he interrupts and engages them. You, you, you know, the story in John ends, of course, they're, they're, they're kind of in their own tomb behind the locked doors uh, on the evening of that, of that first day, and next thing they know, Jesus is in their midst, and he, he's bringing them peace, and then he's gone, and, and, and there's, there's something very beautiful and subtle uh, about that for me that hints at the original meaning of the resurrection from the dead, which is, you know, it's that Greek phrase, Anastasis Necron, and it's literally coming alive from out of dead things. And it, it's a picture of a, a corpse standing up. In, in the midst of of the dead people. And it reminds me of that uh, that disturbing, but sobering movie that I saw as a college kid back in the 70s called The Midnight Express. And it's a story of this rich kid. He, he gets busted for trying to bring cocaine back. They, they put him in prison for life in the Turkish prison. And every day he's asked to walk in this circle around this, this uh, center point with all the other prisoners and they're broken, they're, they're ruined people. And all they do all day is just walk around, chasing, walking after one another in, in circles. And at one point, it's as if the post-resurrection, Jesus meets this kid and wakes him up and calls him alive from out of these dead things. And he reverses course and suddenly he's going against the grain and they're saying, no, you can't do that. No, you have to go the other way. And they are scandalized by his by his not walking in the right direction. And that led to his empowerment, that led to his release and so forth. So, so for me, you know, the resurrection is something I experienced in unpredictable ways. You can't, you know, I can't um, pin it down. I just have to, it's a live interaction between the risen Christ who is alive and our live hearts. And it's this ongoing conversation and he meets us in different places and in different ways and uh so i don't know there's there's lots of stories i, I could tell but maybe some of those will emerge as we talk so i don't know johnny i don't know how long that was
0: Is that a- i was about the perfect length i think because okay. i'm i'm taking notes and i'm ready to dive in i love it good uh well, so I want to start, I mean, I, there, there's a lot, you, you teed it up for as well, and there's a lot um, there, but one of the things that you kind of, uh, a comment made at the very beginning that I think it's worth just unpacking a little bit, because it is always in the backdrop, I think, of how we understand church, and you mentioned whenever Christianity became the religion of the empire, and, and we tend to associate that with Constantine, and you know, the very beginning of the fourth century where really, I mean, uh, people say overnight, but over a period of a decade or so, Christianity went from being this persecuted band of, of misfits <laughs> to um, uh, the sanctioned religion of the empire. And With that came privileges and power and control and predictability. Basically everything you said that we can't do when it comes to understanding resurrection And I'm just wondering where you see us now in this cultural moment, because on the one hand, we're not the early church, we're not persecuted. On the other hand, we're starting to kind of wake up to see that, you know, maybe the church doesn't have the privileged social location it did um, for centuries. And I'm just wondering, where, where do you see the church and society like at this moment? And how does that? change this conversation around resurrection?
1: Yeah, good, good, good thoughts. Um, Well, the first thing I would want to say, and then I'll, then I'll talk more directly to the question, but, you know, the, the early church, once it had become the religion of empire, God got reduced to a bunch of concepts real quickly. And, and God is and, our, and creeds suggest that. We, we have the Nicene Creed. And, and suddenly Jesus is exalted to the right hand of, of God, the Father. and and, and we're, we're asked to believe all that. All those good concepts. But often that becomes a dead end because we're believing in and applying concepts, doing the best we can. And yet sometimes that creates an expectation and we expect to find God in certain ways and certain people in certain places. Well, the resurrection for me is that it's the interruption that comes through people through Christ in disguise and through hidden, uh, in hidden ways, through unexpected people and places, you you mentioned my work with IACT with Interfaith Action of Central Texas, and you know I'm with folks from all the religions, and it's 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 the most amazing diverse group of folks, and I just want to testify that I experience the the live. Risen Christ through these Muslim or Baha'i or Hindu or Jewish uh, men and women. And uh, they they wouldn't use that same language, but it's a live entering. It's it's an overcoming of the fact that we have different concepts, different beliefs about God, and yet at the heart, at the level of the heart, the level of dialogue. I think Christ gets revealed for me.
0: Yeah, no, I mean that's that's exactly and, right. And about the
1: church, Johnny. So, so I, I think I think we're in a great place for yeah. to recover those amazing original, originative insights that are revealed uh, in the Book of Acts, for example, or in the life of Paul. Because their time in that in that culture, they, they weren't fi- they were neither fish nor fowl. They they're Jewish in the beginning, but next thing you know, they have a mission to the outsiders, and and many become many Gentiles become Christians, and it's it's this uh, amazing emergence of fellowship of the koinonia of the partnering way and it's person to person who to who one person at a time and and so i just feel like we can recover that's the engine that drives this thing for me is the presence of the risen christ and or the post-resurrection jesus however we want to call it um Yeah. So I think we have a chance to excite folks with, with the, the more we are engaged as a, we, the more palpable the resurrection Jesus becomes. So that's, that's a few thoughts. I don't
0: know. That's good. There, there's a saying, um, and I want to, I want to, say that I, I'm not an expert in Zen, nor do I know too much about Zen, but that I've always loved the the phrase that apparently is tied to Zen that says, don't confuse the finger pointing at the moon with the moon itself. you know that so much of like what we have is useful and good and wonderful, but it's always meant to point beyond itself to uh, an experience of the living God that undoes us and that changes us and that transforms us and um, and, uh, it, it made me think a little bit about, um, it, Jesus would say this to people, but also I think that if we were to look at some of the resurrection accounts that maybe even the angels or the man of the tomb say this to the woman, they say, um, what are you looking for? Or they say, whom are you looking for? But I'm, I'm caught with that question of what are you looking for? And one of the things that I think I'm hearing you say is that if we're only looking for God in our concepts and our creeds and our liturgy and some of the structures that give us life and that organize our community, that we might miss some of the wildness and the unpredictability and the surprise, which is what, uh, of Jesus actually showing up in an unexpected way. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, Jesus continually says, those with the ears to hear, hear. Those with the eyes to see, see. And it it points to the fact that the, the living God is to be perceived through the eye of the heart
0: mm-hmm.
1: rather than conceived with our very good notions and well-thought-out theological assumptions and all the rest, all of which, as you say, is very very useful and and can can you know can encourage us and keep us on the path where we actually do encounter through each other, but it's always through people, right? For me. And yeah, and yeah so the church today as we as as more and more folks pay less and less attention to our our structures. You know the, mm-hmm. the churchifiedness of everything. I I think I think we have a chance to recover that early experience of of God who couldn't be contained. Hey, what are you looking for? Uh, they ask. Well, we're looking for Jesus. Well, he's not here. <laughs> he's gone yeah. on ahead. Yeah. And so often our 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 concepts so easily become idols and. And then we find ourselves back into a solipsistic way of living, rather than an open-ended partnering dialogical way.
0: Yeah, and that that partnering partnering dialogical way. One of the things that you said was moving from a, a me to um, a we, and I think. Um, uh, you, you know I, I think that we all know what it's like to feel ourselves to be a tiny little isolated fragment uh and, and someone else is a tiny isolated fragment and that other fragment is my competitor or my ally and, and we all just know that that is not a very um uh, uh, we fall into that in times of anxiety or maybe just but but it's not a very satisfying way to live um we also know what it's like to be used and to be part of a herd where we completely lose any individual gifting we bring or uh and so I think about the biblical metaphor that I think would be perfect for this aspect of it of the body of Christ where there's one body with many members and all those members are interconnected but they all have a different function and I have an intuition that actually, um, if we could make this transition from a me to a we and, and really live as a member of a larger body, that actually we would be more in touch with our unique contribution um, to the world and to the church. And that's just an intuition. But I'm wondering if that's, that's true from your experience and if you see it that way.
1: Yeah. I think so. I mean, um, well, what you say reminds me kind of, for some reason, of, of the story of Lazarus, right? That's mm-hmm. that's that kind of proleptic resurrection moment that anticipates Jesus's resurrection. It's a type. Uh, it's a resuscitation. We know Lazarus is getting all that stuff. But what i'm drawn to in that text is that jesus wept Mm -hmm. when he heard that lazarus was died has had died and they're all wailing they're in deep grief and the that begs the question why is he crying why is he weeping he knows he has the power and in fact does (laughs) resurrect lazarus Uh, just a few moments later, and it strikes me that he's weeping because he sees the human condition as locked into our, our, I used the word solipsism earlier, and I, I, I should probably define that, it's the solus ipse, it's the self stuck on itself, that individualized self that tries to believe and do the right things, but until that self is until that me forgets about itself and becomes part of the we community with the risen Christ as Lord, then I think we're left with that fear and that anxiety. And so Jesus weeps at the human condition and, and, and wants us to be encouraged by the raising of Lazarus because, in fact, that's where death was defeated. At the the ultimate fear is death for a lot of people, and I just think that's that's the story. And and when you experience that story through each other, and and, and I love how you set that up. Yes, we are so we constitute one another. We need each other. We're 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 built for community, and um, and that is messy. That, that requires humility, openness to the other, not, as, not over-asserting or controlling or dominating. It's that give and take in the body of Christ that um, reflects uh, the risen Christ through us.
0: And, us. Part, and part of me wonders how much of the battle, because, um, you, you know, so... Uh, part of me wonders how much of it is just like waking up to see how reality actually is. Um, because uh, on the one hand, um, you know, to live as a tiny little fragment, to live as a little me and to say that, you know, God is to be found where there's certainty and order and predictability. There's a sense in which that's just a big fat illusion. (laughs) That's not really sustainable. And the reason I say that is because, um, you know, you're right that the self has, you know, Jesus says that this we must lose ourselves. Those who lose themselves will find themselves, but you can't really lose yourself on purpose. Um, um, I, whenever I lose something, it's because I'm distracted. It's because there's something else I'm interested in. It's because the real action somewhere else, you know. Uh, and a self that tries to lose itself is just another self project. Um, I
1: love that. That's uh, great.
0: You know, a self can't lose itself. A self um, is lost when there's a greater love. When there's some some real action happening, you know, what are you looking for? I see something, something that's catching my attention, and and before you know it, you're not focused on on yourself but on where the real action is. And but there's this fear. Um, you, you made a comment about. Um, which I agree that the original resurrection stories were not, you know, calm words for anxious hearts. You know, there's a part of us that wants to be calm. There's a part of us that wants to predict to control, but the real action is experiencing. I think I wrote down holy terror. I don't know if you said that, or if that's just the meaning I made out of some of your words that there's a um, there's life to be found, but there's also the death. Whether it's the death of our illusion that we're separate, or or something, and so there seems to be a little bit of a paradox that we're working with.
1: Yeah, I love that, uh, Johnny. Uh, that that idea that we're, we're we're trying so hard to die to ourselves. <laughs> yeah, but it only gets worse and worse, and you get knotted up. And um, I think I think what happens is that we get interrupted. You know, somebody comes into our life, into our world, whether it be a a spouse or a child or a work partner or someone, a stranger on the street or on the corner. And once you get engaged and interested in the other, then in that very moment, you forget about yourself. And and to be self-forgetful is such a, a virtue that I think is only possible with humility. I mean, we can't control this thing. We can't, you know, you know. We we can't just do this through willpower or exertion. It's a gift. Yeah, it's, it's a grace, and we respond, and then voila! It's it's there's an I thou interaction, and off you go into the adventure. And so, yeah, I, I just think. There's some, the reason I say humility is the condition. That's just simply that awareness that we, we don't have certainty as much as we want it. But that's okay uh, because humility is what opens the eye of the heart and allows the spirit of, of God and the spirit of each other to come in. And then we've got communion, then we have real koinonia so yeah um yes we it's true we must die but that just happens coincidentally as we are in relationship
0: it's a byproduct it's not a goal i mean nice. it's it's the byproduct of of this interrupting god coming into our life um i i you know, I've never, I mean, I haven't been at this too long, but I've been ordained for, I don't know, 13 years now. And, and, and you've been ordained for much longer and people tell you their stories and you listen and you've heard hundreds of stories. And I will bet every dollar I have that no one has ever, when people tell you of the truly life-changing things that happened to them, whether it's a wonderful story or a horrible story, you know, whether it's, A significant trauma that became a catalyst for an opening of the heart and a journey that's led to a really deep faith, or whether it's just a friend that invited them to church or a book that they read that made them get all emotional and set them on a journey. But no one has ever told me a story of how they you know, sat down and had um, a prayer time between 5 and 6 a.m. for 10 straight years. And that's the thing that changed their life. And that's not to knock their routine. That's not, I mean, I I have a prayer discipline and, and I pray on a routine basis and that has its place. But what you're talking about, I think, and what we're talking about is that the truly transformative moments with the risen Christ come when we're in our tomb, our metaphorical upper room, and something or someone just busts right in, and all of a sudden everything's changed. I mean, that's what we're talking about, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. I mean, so every time it happen- Gwen and I, every time Gwen and I get into a fight, my wife Gwen, and uh, and I, I, I try to assert my own position. Or we, we, we <laughs> wrestle back and forth. It turns out the risen Christ is is confronting me, <laughs> with her. and uh, but yeah, I, I I like how you just said that. I think um, I think it it that's the adventure of the quest, right? Is yeah. is this unexpected, uh, uh, unpredictable journey or adventure that uh, get, that opens up the whole world and and, and not just our little echo chamber or, or whatever bubble we're in. I mean, that was the one thing that characterized the early movement in the book of Acts was that they busted out. And suddenly it wasn't that they just had a blueprint and they were gonna go, oh, we gotta go over to Europe. Oh, now we gotta go over to Asia Minor. I think if you read it carefully, Relationships—they—they they encounter someone. Next thing you know, Philip's with the Ethiopian eunuch, and and he's and and then uh, Peter and Cornelius. I mean, story after story of how Christ meets us through each other, through the other. And so that's the humility part that has served me well, not only with the front porch when I used to do that, but with IACT. I just have this stance before others as, as holy ground. And um, you know, we, we're in such a weird time of judgment uh, you know, in this day and age. And it's just gotten ugly and polarized. And that's a well-known story but I think it's, it's part of the tribalism that each side invokes their own God over and against the other. And I just think it's, it's sad and, and, and deforming rather than transforming. So anyway, I, I don't know.
0: Well, and I mean, because everyone listening is resonating with this and it's inherently unsatisfying. And, and, you know, so what I would invite those listening to try on, I mean, what Steve said is just try it on, try, try on going into your next encounter, whether it's an encounter with someone bagging your groceries or an encounter with like the relative that you're just trying to get out of there alive. Like, what if you go in there, you know, the question, what are you looking for? What if you're looking for an encounter with God? What if you're looking for holy ground? How might that change our experience of life? Because we know what the experience of life is when we don't look for that, right? I mean, and, and the other thing that occurs to me, Steve, about the adventure, um, and 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 I'm I'm curious if you would see it this way, or 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 where this factors in, but you know, there is a reason that we're drawn to things like certainty and predictability and and control. Um, there's a reason that those things tempt us. Right. I mean, um, and, and I think it's because they make us feel safe and they make us, I mean, I think they just make us feel safe. And, um, to me, one of the things that I think is important in my own life, um, to sustain going into the world and treating it as a sense of adventure and saying certainty is not a value you know encountering Christ is a value is a belief that there is a, a greater benevolence um, provision uh, presence of God i mean however you understand that you know Paul would say in the end all things work for the good the good of those who love god or the gospels would say i am with you always even to the end of the age but I think that for me in order to truly get rid of the whole certainty, safety, predictability, uh, relate to God only through my concepts. Um, I can only do that when I believe that, um, that somehow that, that this, this is good, this is right. This is the way to live, you know, and that, um, that God sees to it one way or another that the, you know, that that justice and life and love prevail. Does that resonate with you at all?
1: Yeah, it's lovely. It's beautiful. And um, reminds me of a story I used to tell about um, this guy who pulls into a gas station. He's got his map and and he's going to Boston. And in many ways, this is my story. When I first went off to Gordon-Conwell back in 1980, Two week drive, and I had my map, and I had all of my, um, um, you know, cassette tapes to listen to stuff, and, and I was in control, and I was I was having fun, but it was me, myself, and I, and I get to, I think it was somewhere in the Blue Ridge Mountains on my way to Boston that there's a hitchhiker. He didn't have a shirt on. And for some reason I'm driving, I'm very comfortable. And I see him and I go, Oh, I don't want to stop. And, and, and I literally go past that inner, that, that turnoff. And then I, 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 heard this inner voice say, you know, go back. And so I did. and, Turned out to be a guy named Junior. He was a big old guy and uh, he, he had just gotten out of jail and he didn't have any money and he was in need of, of help and his parents had renounced him and he, he was all alone in the world. And so I told him the story of the prodigal son and he lit up. that was his story. And he says, and he was running away from home at that time. And so we ended up talking and becoming friends in a way that I would never have expected. We were so different. And yet he blessed me. He, Christ encountered me. He, the post-resurrection Jesus happened through junior. And then at the next stop, he said, I got to go back. I got to go home. And, and so he turned around and he went home. And then I went on up to Boston to, to uh, continue the adventure. But, but it's just like, at some point when you're with the map maker and he's in the car or she is in the car, you never know. Right. Then we're, we're so intent on follow. Well, no, no, no. I, we're supposed to cut off over here. And of course, now we have iPhones and maps are so obsolete. But back in the day, uh, it, it's as if the map maker just takes that map and crunches it up and throws it out the window and says, hey, I want to show you a secret park that I know about. Mm-hmm. Turn off. No, no, no. That's I'm supposed to go this way. No, no, no. You'll love it. OK. You know, that's the humility. That's that continual. uh Opening up to the other. Now it's fraught with risk. I totally get that, and not everybody turns out to be as lovely as Junior. (laughs) But you know, I don't know. I think that's the.
0: But but I think it's important to name. I mean, you know, granted, you did you did tell the story of of picking up a hitchhiker who just got out of of jail, and so maybe the risk there would be a little bit different. But that for most of us, you know what the risk is usually 99.9% not to our life. It's to, it's to our comfort. And I mean, to our way of seeing things, you know, Mm -hmm. so, so with respect to the normal interactions of life, you know, so for instance, there's someone who sees the world radically different from me. Do I listen with an open empathetic heart? The, The, the greatest risk there is that, I'm going to be crawling out of my skin and just have to breathe really deeply to take in the perspective, (laughs) you know, nine times out of 10. And so I I think that's important to name um, because what we often miss is the risk of continuing to live our life, not taking those small risks, those, those smaller risks.
1: Which is to say that, the risen Christ is knocking on the door of our hearts all the time. Right. And I, I dare say, uh, if there's a hundred knocks in any given day that I miss 99 of them, but that one that I open up to, uh, that becomes blessing, but I miss so many of them, you know, because I am preoccupied or moving on at my own pace, but, but, you know, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. You just look at all those stories in the book of Acts where as, as the Ethiopian eunuch says, what's to prevent me from being baptized? Everything. He's a eunuch. Eunuch uh, <laughs> Deuteronomy 23 says they're cut off from God and everything. And yet Philip had the humility to go, hmm, and uh, the rest is history. And suddenly yeah. he ends up in Caesarea. Uh, Maritima, and and apparently ends up living in a community there. Um, and I don't know if we don't hear much about him after that.
0: And it, it makes me think, you know, it, it makes me think, I don't know why this really comes to mind, but this is our tradition. This is our living tradition to seek to break out of familiar, comfortable spaces and to be transformed. Um, And I think about that that difference between um, convention and tradition. And I forgot who said this, but someone once said that convention is the dead faith of the living and that tradition is the living faith of the dead. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that often whenever the church gets stuck, we've just traded our tradition just to fall into convention. But if we're being true to our tradition, you know, Philip was being true to the tradition convention would have said, don't baptize this eunuch, but the tradition is spirit's on the move.
1: <laughs> like yeah, well said. Something,
0: something's happening here. And so in speaking of resurrection this way, and, you know, occasionally in the same way with Jesus, right? Um, healing on the Sabbath against the convention, but very true to the tradition of listening to God and, and the spirit at work. And so what we're really talking about here is just Being in touch with the living tradition that is Christianity, which is that God is wild and free and uh, always, always, always speaking, prodding, inviting us into new places in our world and with each other. And at the moment we get too stagnant, um, God's going to come shake things up.
1: That's a really nice distinction. I I, I like that. I mean, I, I know I speak for you when I say I'm continually reinterpreting the text, the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Every time I go to it in light of my lived experience or this happened or that happened, I, I, I see it or something gets revealed a little differently. Uh, it, it's, it's the tradition. It's the same Bible, but it, it speaks differently depending on my accent or, or what I'm in, how I'm led to interpret given what I've been through. Um, you said one other thing about the um the fee. Oh, yeah. So I think did you ever read Heinz in High Places, the Hannah Hernerd metaphor of much afraid? Is it's an allegory, and at the center is this adopted girl who's like a Cinderella, despised by by her family. And she is much afraid. And she appeals to the good shepherd. And, and it's the story of her overcoming fear and anxiety precisely because she's not alone. She, mm-hmm. she's, she's with the good shepherd. And the good, there's times when she doesn't imagine or think that he is present, and yet in light of the next bend in the corner, she sees, ah, he was. So it's about the partnering piece, right? I mean, that's the only way I can think of that makes me less afraid instead of much afraid, knowing that I have allies and friends and partners who, who reach out, who comfort, who inspire. All of that is... I think, part of coming alive out of dead things continually, you know, every day. Uh, And it occurs to me, oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, it's it's an everyday wake up and do it again.
0: Well, when it occurs to me, and this is kind of, this is a perfect segue and, 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 you know, and speaking of coming alive out of dead things, I love the way that you spoke of the upper room as a, as its own tomb, right? Jesus busts out of his tomb to to help us bust out of ours. And I've never, even though the doors are locked, I mean, it, it is a tomb-like image. I just have never really conceived of it that way. And but it the becomes whole different...
1: it becomes a womb,
0: yeah, for the new Adam, right? Yeah,
1: for the new new creation. So they go from yeah. Uh, they're, they're in tune from the point of view of them and their fear, but after he breathes peace into them and, and, and fills them with the comforter, the, the paraclete, uh, it's a, it's a, it turns out to be a wound. Little did they
0: know.
1: It's a,
0: it's a beautiful image, but it occurs to me, you know, that, that we are now, you know, fingers crossed, all signs point to maybe the this, the stuff around the pandemic is shifting at least in our neck of the woods um, and that it will most likely continue to shift as we move closer to fall now I, i'm not an epidemiologist i, I don't i don't know um, but but that seems to be a, a high possibility mm-hmm. and um, the last you know i don't know 14 15 months have been different for all of us and I think that we have fallen into a lot of dead things. I mean, and I don't, I just mean just kind of patterns of, of not touching or, or seeing people as much, uh, maybe more screen time, more fear, more isolation, and that there might be an opportunity. I know in my own life that this last year has given me an opportunity to, to rethink much about my life and my ministry and how I spend my time and what I value what I'm just curious, do you have a sense for some of those dead things that we might need to come out of, assuming that all goes well with the pandemic? What do we need to step into together in the coming months? Mm.
1: Well, that's a delicious question. Um, I don't know, but um, but I think a lot of folks I've talked to, and I, I'll even testify to this. Uh, it's given me a time of re- being home with Gwen all year long has been like being a monk in a cell you know for me it's been regenerative and but but i have a spouse i have a good partner and and um, and not everybody does but at the heart of my past year every single morning i'd I'd wake up, go to the porch, and um, read either from something like T.S. Lewis's Four Quartets or Simone Vay's uh, Affliction and the Love of God. I'll read something, and then I'll do a one-page journal entry on that, and that's just stoked my fire. That's That's helped me flourish rather than languish in this time so i don't know johnny about uh i gave a sermon at at all saints where i quoted that new york times article on languishing Mm -hmm. that a lot of folks have that experience and i i had like 10 more than ever i'm not languishing i'm flourishing now because yeah. of this and I don't know if I want to go back to the way it was you know so there's sure. a lot of that and uh, I hear it you know it's hard to be in this hybrid model where I I, I I, don't know what what the future will be or how our structures will come back together uh, I think I think we've got to do it collegially Part, you know we, we've got to do it as as partners as a community finding ways around those dead things that that bring us down that w- we need inspiration every single day well what i it's
0: love everyone. about what you what i love about what you said i mean it, true to the topic of resurrection is that it's not uh, a clear binary you know COVID is the dead things and we're coming out of it that, um, and I've experienced this too, that entering into the pandemic, I mean, as scary and vulnerable and odd as that was for, for many of us, that that was a coming alive out of dead things pre pandemic, that there was some resurrection happening in our life. And that as we, but because, you know, you don't put God in a bottle. You know, but because things will get static if you stay there as we come out of COVID, just as you've gotten comfortable and there's some things where you're flourishing now and maybe you'll keep all of those things in your life. Maybe you'll keep some of them that God is always in the same way that the spirit moved, you know, Philip on from that encounter with the eunuch that that we will need to continue to come alive and, and put away that which is dying and growing old as we step into whatever life looks like post-pandemic
1: that's the quest that's the adventure
0: and the openness um, to that that's that's what makes it a
1: relationship and not a religion right
0: yeah i love that uh steve is there anything else now i I end these podcasts with five really quick questions but before we get to those is there anything else that you want to tell the people of saint michael's episcopal church uh before uh before we wrap this thing up
1: so is, is that a nudge? Is this the place where I say great things about you?
0: Just, we we've, we don't need four minutes. If you could just like, you know, <laughs> five, no, no, no need.
1: No, John, Johnny's the, uh, the self forgetful, uh, uh, partnering person who, uh, calls all of us, uh, to be more alive. I mean, and, and it's true, Johnny, I, I, I think you're, uh, your ministry and your, your, your role in the world is, is full. It's luminous. And, uh, all of us who know you love you and appreciate you. So anyway, I don't think there's anything else about what we've been talking about. Um, Johnny, I, I don't know. We could talk all day. I, I reckon, but.
0: No, that's, this is a good place to a transition. Okay. Are you ready for my five questions? Sure. All right. Just um, the way, just kind of ended in a fun way. Um, and each one, just a sentence, nothing, nothing too long. Um, what are you grateful for at the moment?
1: Oh, man, I'm grateful for so much. Um, I'm grateful for being 65. I, I, There's just something about... The mid sixties that I I'm relishing, even as I'm losing my senses, my hearing, my smell, <laughs> my all of that is true relative to sixty five. My knees, I've got arthritis, but I'm having more fun now. Uh, there's a freedom that that comes from being in the mid sixties that that I just. Um, I'm I'm very great grateful right now for all for life for being alive.
0: Yeah. Amen. Um, okay, so what question number two is there anything that you are less sure of than you were before the COVID pandemic began? In other words, as a result of this pandemic, is there anything in your life that you're less sure of?
1: Yeah, sadly, I'm I'm less sure of a positive way out of our current political and cultural divides. I mean, Mm -hmm. yikes. I, I never could have imagined that dear friends, you know, who I, who I know, uh, it, they're not necessarily as open to the quest as, as I may be. And, they, they cut me off if if I don't, if I represent the enemy. Uh, I, I, I'm not political. I mean, I it's just, to me, Christ transcends all that stuff, but it's gotten fouled up. Mm. And I'm less certain that it's going to end well, short of some kind of a violence. I don't know. <laughs>
0: Well, Want to be I, no, I'm, no. I'm, 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 it's not, you know, I'm not laughing, you know, humor. I'm just laughing a little bit because, um, I've asked that, that, that has been a consistent answer that I've gotten to that question. And so you're not alone there. Hmm. Um, okay. I'm going to go to a different question. Is there anything you're more sure of than you were before the pandemic began? Mm-hmm.
1: I think so. Um, I'm more sure not, not to my wife, Gwen and I have had a one long honeymoon this, this past year. So I'm more sure of my, my love and respect for her. She just keeps ripening. And, 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 and I just feel um, real certain about, about that relationship. and. I feel more certain about the power of resurrection through brokenness. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I've I've experienced that in this past year. And so, yeah, I think that's what I'll say.
0: Great. Um you referenced a couple books you've been reading, but this question number 4 is is there a book, a movie, a show, uh, just any any kind of art form that's just really brought you a lot of joy or peace in yeah, the I last just saw year. saw the Peanut
1: Butter Falcon. Have you seen it?
0: No, I haven't seen it. Oh,
1: man, it's a it's a who to who movie. It's about resurrection. They don't yeah. use that language, of course, but but it's just this beautiful story of of a kid with down syndrome um, who escapes from his, his confinement in an institution and he meets another misfit uh, and and it's their story. It's just so it witnesses to the resurrection in a way that opens the heart. Uh, There's that I, I, Like I said, I've just reread The Four Quartets for for the first time since basically seminary, and I just loved it more than I ever have uh, before. Um, I'm reading a lot of books, uh, one by Eddie Glaude on the life of James Baldwin. I'm reading My Grandmother's Hands about the trauma of the the uh, of, of slavery and Jim Crow on whites and blacks. So a lot, we're doing a deep dive at IACT into this whole racial uh, moment. And we're not trying, you know, we're just trying to listen and learn individually and collectively. And so pretty much most of my reading over the past years has been in that vein.
0: That's great. And then the last question, um, whenever, you know, whenever your time comes to exit this earth and uh, if you uh, stand before God, however you envision that, um, what do you wish to hear God say to you when your earthly quest comes to an end?
1: (laughs) Oh, no, Johnny. This is where you get mean to ask such a question. At the Permit Resurrection, man.
0: (laughs) I said resurrection. It's interrupting. You never know when it's coming.
1: Uh, I know. Well, that's it. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I I think probably. uh, I I don't know, Johnny. Uh, Well done. (laughs) Glad to to have you in this new chapter. Uh, Um you know, you, you, you were a lot of fun on earth, and I'm looking forward to our getting to know each other through eternity as we go forward. Uh, I'll add a postscript to that, Johnny. I, I I've got like 30 journals from 1974 to the present, and I I put them in chronological order, and I've been going through them reading from 74, then 75. I'm now up to uh, 1970. No, no, I've I've just entered seminary at, at Southwest in this latest journal. And to be honest, I have fallen back in love with myself. I was just this little kid, so earnest, doing the best I could. You know how journaling when you're an adolescent or younger, and you don't know what the hell's going on, we get full of angst. And, and so I just getting to re read that from my 65 year old self has helped me really have a lot more compassion on that little kid that I was trying my best to grow up in the world.
0: I love that. And I think
1: God will, will, I mean, that's my sense of it. It's probably where I get that.
0: I love that. I love that. Well, Steve, I want to thank you for for this time. I want to thank you for sharing your voice and your perspective with me and with with St. Michael's. Also, just want to thank you for the continued role that you have in uh, my life. And you know, I still think whenever I was in college, discerning the call to the priesthood, I, I used to meet with you and some others at an old art gallery downtown uh, from time to time to have conversations. And when I graduated from seminary and was at the student center, they used to meet with you on a regular basis at Spider House Coffee, you know, to read books and and have dialogue. And you've always been someone who's showed up in my life and interrupted me in really positive, life-giving ways. And so I just want to say thank you for who you are and thank you for being a part of this podcast.
1: Well, bless you, Johnny. Thanks for that gift. Appreciate you.